Welcome back to True Crime Broads. Today we have a fantastic guest. Can't wait to get started. We have John Matthews here with us today. He is the owner of Casara Wines and Winery, and uh, we're so excited to have you on, John. Tell us about yourself and how you got connected to this eyeball killer. Well, I've been in law enforcement for, it'll be 40 years in March. I spent most of my career with Dallas Police Department, uh, Dallas County. I'm still active in law enforcement. And uh, during my time with Dallas, uh, I worked uh, in North Dallas at the Northwest Substation and Oak Cliff. I worked around the city in a couple of different positions. Uh, but I guess I'm most well known for uh, the serial killer case, catching Dallas's first serial killer, um, who has the moniker of the eyeball killer. He was actually killing women on my beat. So I was personally involved in the case. Um, and um, the only award-winning winemaker in the country that's also caught a serial killer. So very, very <laughs> amazing. Unique. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. Very, very <laughs> unique from that standpoint. Um, but uh, yeah, I was working in Oak Cliff at the time. This is in the early 90s. Uh, the killer was hunting women on my beat, prostitutes um, in, that were around a certain area. And um, I, like I said, I knew some of the girls. I had worked with the girls. I had arrested them. Um, that was part of the time that I was working on a special detail in North Oak Cliff, which everybody kind of knows now. But back then, it was revitalizing the Jefferson Boulevard and Bishop Arts district in North Oak Cliff. And at that time, it was a really rough neighborhood. The early 90s, we had record-setting homicides in the city of Dallas. We had tons of gang problems, over 6,000 known gang members at that time in the city. Many concentrated there in North Oak Cliff. And on a regular basis, we were dealing with murdery, murders, rape, robberies, burglaries, all kinds of theft, and then add the prostitution onto that. And so my position was to work with the city, work with the business leaders to try to revitalize that area of the city of Dallas. And as you see it now, um, it has been a fantastic success. We dropped crime in the area over 70%. We garnered a National Downtown Association Award, a Main Street Award, an International Downtown Association Award. And now it's one of the places to go when you're in Dallas is to North Oak Cliff and Bishop Arts. And uh, that part of the city has really come, come alive. But uh, during that time that I was working there, um, the most shootings I ever worked in one eight-hour shift was seven separate shootings. And that's separate shootings. That's not just the number of victims, many more victims than that. So nearly every day, that's what it was like in that part of the city. So now throw a serial killer on top of it, and it really makes news. Golly, that was yeah, Bishop, a lot. <laughs> Bishop Arts is amazing. I'm happy to talk to someone that was part of that. That's amazing. That's a beautiful area. I'm in real estate. So we'll write anytime we have a listing in that area, realtors write walking distance to Bishop Arts. I mean, it is like a major selling point is my son and his girlfriend, they're teenagers. They go down there all the time. It's just what a cool place. 
Yeah, and back when I worked there, when we started the revitalization project with a lot of the developers and the business people in the area, literally, um, you could not go down there. Uh, it'd be difficult to go down there any evening of the week without becoming a victim of a crime and primarily a violent crime. That's so sad. totally different now. And I remember that well. I grew up in DeSoto and so did my husband and we knew what areas to stay out of. Absolutely. Right, right. It was just a very, very dangerous area at the time. Like I said, we're in the middle of the crack cocaine epidemic. Um, shootings were rampant, robberies, all type of priority one crimes uh, we had throughout the city and record setting number of murders. Let me kind of put it in context for you. Right now, we average 275, maybe up to around 300 murders in the city of Dallas on a bad year. We were eclipsing 500 murders during the time I'm talking about. So uh, absolutely rampant crime. And that doesn't even count the number of shootings, attempted murders, aggravated assaults, and everything else that we saw during that time. I remember one day pulling up in, uh, on a street in North Oak Cliff, and uh, there was a teenager there, probably 14, 15 years old, still holding a gun. And I grabbed the gun from him and said, what are you doing? And there was a kid right in front of him dying right in front of both of us. He said, I just wanted to know what it felt like to kill somebody. So oh a very different time uh, in Oak Cliff when we, when we were working in there. You know, that's so crazy that thinking about this happening in a time frame when, you know, I'm from Red Oak, Crystal was from DeSoto. And I worked right there off of, I think it was Ann Arbor and 35 at that, uh, I think it was a Sam's Wholesale Club. Yeah. Back in this time frame, uh, matter of fact, I worked off of Harry Hines in Dallas, which isn't too far either. So it's just scary to think that this was happening so close to us that we were right there, you know? Well, and Harry Hines was my training ground when I came out of the academy. That was my first beat was Harry Hines. I worked it for quite a long time. And that's how I learned how to manage prostitutes, work with I'm kidding. And when I moved to Oak Cliff and they wanted to start this new beat, they said, we need somebody that knows business at a consulting company at the time, had two degrees, a bachelor's and a master's in business. And I knew how to work with the prostitutes. And so I kind of fit the mold and jumped right into it. And prostitution is one of those foundational crimes that really laid the foundation, the, uh, the roadmap for those other crimes, the thefts, the robberies, the burglaries, the murders, all centered around that. And so that's how we got a handle on it is working on prostitution and all of those other crimes all the way up to and including murder and a serial killer. Amazing. I remember it being in the news, the eyeball killer, but um, Renee and I don't know a whole, whole lot about it. Can you kind of walk us through um, how this guy got started killing? And I know a little bit about the story, but we would rather hear you tell it. Well, you know, North Oak Cliff is kind of infamous in that area. You've got the house where Lee Harvey Oswald lived. Literally two blocks from him is the house where the serial killer lived. Right down the street from that where one of the girls were a kid is where Clyde Barrow is buried from Bonnie and Clyde. So it, and, and not far from there where J.D. Tippett was killed, the Dallas officer. <laughs> Uh, and the uh, Texas theater. So there's kind of an infamous area of North Oak Cliff, and that's what we were trying to revitalize. Um, the serial killer uh, would pick up prostitutes, like I said, on my beat at the Star Motel at 8th and RLT, and um, would take him 
south of the city. The prostitutes had no idea where they're going because they live in a very, very small area. That's where they work. That's where their pimps are. That's where their safety and security is. That's where their tricks know to go so that they can make money. And so their whole life revolves around a three, four block area. And all of a sudden, they were being picked up and taken 20 miles away, way down south, uh, south of I-20. It was very uh, rural at the time, very undeveloped, not like today. And he would pick the girls up. He would take them to one of his properties down there south of 20. Um, uh, he would have sex with them. He would murder them. He would then display them out on the street uh, for everyone to see, to kind of send a message of who he is and what he's doing. His uh, first victim was Mary Pratt, white female, 35. He picked her up at the Star Motel, um, and she was found the next day by someone that went out to get his newspaper. Um, she was partially nude, laying in the road. Her arms were above her head, posed. And uh, when they brought Mary into the medical examiner's office, the deaner, the one that provides most of the work for the ME, uh, said to the ME, hey, there's something strange here, and I don't think she has any eyes. And the ME said, no, 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 a lot of times when there's head trauma, which this was a bullet wound to the head, the um, eyes are primarily made of liquid, and if you're in a car accident, gunshot victim, anything like that, uh, often the eyes uh, fall to the back of the head. But when the medical examiner opened the sockets, she discovered that the eyes were not only missing, but they had been surgically removed. And this is really, really rare in the annals of criminal history. Going back centuries, we've had people that have stabbed the eyes. We've had people that have gouged them and slashed them and other types of things. But, but never, ever before had we had somebody that surgically removed the eyes to the point where there was almost no bruising at all to the face because the eyes had been so per, uh, precisely removed and taken from the body. That is unbelievable. It really is. I can't even, I'm glad I didn't know about this. I would have been really nervous. <laughs> now, did, 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 this, did the killer... Were, were terrified at the time. Uh, right. That was that was in December of uh, of 90, and uh, less than two months later, he struck again. Uh, this time, though, it was a very, I'd say, well-known prostitute, street-smart prostitute um, that uh, really surprised everybody, including me, that she would become a victim to a killer, let alone a serial killer. She was um, really tough former military veteran. She carried a weapon. She knew how to, to work the streets. And uh, again, uh, not very far from where we found Mary's body. Um, we found Susan Peterson's body. Um, same style, uh, except uh, her shirt was pulled all the way up. Her breast exposed. She was posed in the middle of the road. And again, she had no eyes. And at this point, not only is homicide getting involved, the FBI, undercover teams, task force, and and I personally got involved in, in the case. I knew Susan, I had arrested her many times, I knew her pimp, I knew where she worked, and I knew how tough she was, and I knew that if somebody was getting in and out of the beat without being seen, without being recognized, and getting these girls, 
it was uh, going to be a very difficult case. Was that the only thing you had to link these cases together? Was that the eyes were removed or were there other signs that it was the same killer? Well, they were picked up from the same location. They were dumped in a very similar location. Okay, yeah. Um, the so, bodies were yeah. posed. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Right. So the bodies we, yeah. were posed. That's unusual, right? Yeah. Many, many sim similarities that we found uh, that linked the cases together right away. I had read that as the time went on, some of his other victims later on, the eyes weren't quite as surgically removed. It looked like he was in a bigger, perhaps in a bigger hurry later on. Is that well, no, not exactly. Actually, okay. the, the the eyes were removed in the same kind of surgical manner. Okay. But on the third victim, he was in a rage mm -hmm. and he was he was upset about something. And um, he he beat the victim. Oh. He cut the victim. He actually left a piece of the knife in the victim's cheek uh, where it broke off. And um, so uh, it was a different type of homicide, uh, but the procedure to remove the eyes was the same. And okay. he was able to commit the act after killing somebody and then calming himself down enough to go ahead and remove the eyes and take them with him. That's bizarre. Holy. What was he doing with these eyes? Did anyone ever find out? We never found the eyes. Nope. Oh my That's gosh. That is wild. So the best part is is knowing that you were able to uh, find this crazy man and arrest him. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, uh, what I did back then was we now called geographic profiling. It didn't exist at the time, and I didn't know I was doing it. But I had always taken a more academic approach to law enforcement. Again, by that time, I had my master's. And I was working on a PhD in organizational policy and theory. And what I did is I took my old maps go. If you remember the maps goes, I do. And I started, yeah. And I started circling on the maps goes where the girls were picked up, where the bodies were dumped, uh, where the girls were working. Um, information that I had collected throughout the case from witnesses, suspects, addresses. Uh, possible people that might be involved. Um, I had I had not just a notebook, but an entire book that I had built. Um, I, and a lot of it, I didn't even know what, what it was, but I was really good at documenting things. And I went over and I started playing on the city computer and came up empty. I then went down to the constable's office um, and got on the county computer. And I started putting in locations from my notebook. Uh, again, dump sites, areas where the girls were seen, areas where the girls were picked up, names and addresses that I'd gathered during the course of the months of working the case and trying to track down the killer. And all of a sudden, I hit on one name, and it was a property owner that owned property in all of those areas where I had circles on my maps go. And I just knew, I've got him. I mean, this cannot be a coincidence. Right. And I started running everything, the voting record and, uh, and it, you know, all of the records I could find. And then I came across his birth certificate and found out he voted in the last election. And then I discovered his death certificate. And I went, uh-oh. <laughs> wow. That had to be a but, blow. <laughs> yeah, but then I kept digging and found out, well, wait a minute. If his social security checks keep getting cashed, um, if his rent <laughs> checks keep getting cash, who's doing this? And I traced it back to his son 
And his son was Charles Albright. He had a criminal history, a long criminal history of theft, forgery, uh, being a con man, all the way up to and including aggravated sexual assault of two children. Oh. Uh, I then took his mugshot and brought it out on the street and showed it to uh, one prostitute in particular who immediately identified him as someone that had assaulted her um, weeks before. She had never filed a report, though. So we made a, a aggravated assault offense. Uh, brought it to a judge with the information that I had collected on the victims, the killings, the suspects, and the uh, re the residences that he had, both close to where he picked up the girls and where he dumped the girls, and um, got a warrant and uh, went into his house on El Dorado in North Oak Cliff, right down the street from uh, where Oswald was living at the time of the assassination, and uh, literally blew him out of bed and uh, arrested him and took him into custody. And we knew we had the right guy because we've never had a similar killing since. Amazing. That's wow. fantastic. That had to be like the best day ever. What, what was the <laughs> trial like? I, it was a long trial because we had a lot of prostitutes that testified and they testified that they were, you know, had been with him numerous times that he would visit prostitutes three, five, six times a week, sometimes three times in a night, that he would have multiple prostitutes. Many, many of the girls knew him. We called it a parade of prostitutes. And the <laughs> difficult thing about that is that, you know, they were all convicted offenders. And one of the great things that the prosecutors did in the case is as each girl took the stand, she said, yes, I'm a thief, I'm a convicted felon, I'm a drug user, I'm an alcoholic, and yes, I'm a prostitute, but even with all of that, I don't deserve to die. And Amen. you know all they right. testified to the fact that you know why did you talk to John you know and and why did you know he get the information and they said because I listened to him and I treated them like people yeah and so with all of the testimony we had from the prostitutes and kind of the final coup de gras the hair evidence that we had where we found a hair from a raincoat of one of the victims that matched a hair found in his house, in his living room, in his vacuum cleaner bag. Oh, nice. Wow. Talk about finding a needle in a haystack. Nice. That's there amazing. You go. Yeah. That's a That's about the girl that that got away. I remember reading that part and that was interesting. And, and, you know, and that was a key for me. No one else believed her. I did. Her name was Veronica. Uh, I I saw her. She gave me this, this long, detailed narrative about how she got away from someone that was trying to kill her, that she ran across the field. She was in the middle of nowhere. Um, so it was basically the location where we found the other bodies, um, that it had been raining, that she fell down. She was muddy. She was bloody. She found a sewer pipe. She crawled into the sewer pipe. She spent the night there. And the next morning when the sun came up and a truck was going by, she actually, actually recognized the truck and the driver. He picked her up and brought her back to the Star Motel. And the thing that was most interesting about that is Veronica had a bad drug habit. Uh, she had difficulty remembering what she ate that day. She wouldn't remember where she left her children. She wouldn't <laughs> know where she spent the night. And yet she told this story 
over and over again in fantastic detail. And I paid attention to it. And uh, I thought there was something to it. It helped get, lead me to another individual that was involved in the case that helped lead me to the El Dorado address. And so, you know, all of it, like it does, um, and it takes not, you know, 57 minutes in a primetime show, uh, right. but it takes weeks and it takes months, but you put it together and you get a horrific serial killer who would torture and and murder and then dismember his victims, get them off the street. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. I'm glad I never knew about this. <laughs> yeah, that's just horrendous. I remember it being in the news, but didn't know this, any level of detail about it, just that it looked really creepy. Um, so we were looking at your book here called The Eyeball Killer, and um, you wrote that, uh, I'm assuming, in the years just after this was solved. Yep. Um, yep. Okay, and you wrote it with, uh, it's by John Matthews, everybody out there. It's on Amazon. It's called The Eyeball Killer, John Matthews and Christine Wicker. Um, how did that book come to pass? Did you just decide that this is something that people needed to hear about? Because it's a fascinating story. Well, no, actually, I've been writing for the newspaper for several years at that point, And it was a very popular column called Police Perspective. Matter of fact, uh, won the uh, uh, Texas Press Association Award for column writing, which is the highest award in the state. And um, a, a guy called me up and said, I've been reading your columns and I want you to write a book. And I know your personality and I know that you've taken incredible notes. Well, the guy was Carlton Stowers, a best-selling author who had many, you know, fantastic books. He's a two-time uh, Edgar Allan uh, Poe award winner. Um, his books have been turned into movies. And I said, what, why don't you write the book? You're the famous author. He goes, <laughs> right. I love your writing. I love your articles. I want you to write the book. I'll put you in touch with my agent in New York. That's he so did. Nice. Yeah. We got a book deal, got a movie deal. And um, I've done a, you know, I think it's been around 40 different network shows, uh, documentaries and other things based on uh, the case and based on the killer I caught. So it, it's really fantastic. worked out well. That is so cool. All right. Well, we'll encourage everybody out there to listen, to get a copy of the book. And also tell us a little about a bit about your winery and also the things that you do there locally. I know you have some fun events there in Ellis County. Oh, yeah, it's great. We're located in downtown Ovilla. So we're right in between Red Oak, Waxachie, Cedar Hill, Midlothian. Um, we're about 22 minutes from downtown Dallas, right off of I-35. And you can get to us off of 20 and 287. Uh, we've got about three acres outside, a great little 1910 farmhouse that we converted into a Tuscan tasting room. Uh, we also have a location off of 45 in Corsicana, great space, an 1871 railroad depot that we turned into a wine cellar and an upstairs event area. And we do all kinds of events at Casaro. We do wine pairings. Um, and one of our most popular is chocolate and wine, five chocolates from Tuscany, five wines. And then if that's not enough to put you over the edge, we finish <laughs> it with a mascarpone and fresh berry dessert with a chocolate and red wine reduction. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, we've got great events. We have a great wine club. We've got Cousins Maine Lobster coming out next month and live entertainment for our wine club members. But our most popular thing that we do is our true crime and wine. Uh, and it's great. 
We have all the murderinos out there, the folks that love listening to podcasts just like this. They love the TV shows and they really get into true crime and they come down to the Casaro winery and they drink wine and I talk about serial killers. Man, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it, uh, what what better afternoon <laughs> can you spend than drinking wine, eating imported meats and cheese, and listening, listening. about her? Well, yeah. well, and hang on, they're listening to you, not us, right. somebody with actual law enforcement experience who actually worked on these cases and solved cases. And the eyeball killer, come on, you guys, you got to go out there and check this out. You know, it's amazing. I'm actually set up to go to the October 8th one. That's I was so going to cool. do the one before that. And I was so upset because I missed the, you know, it, it, it got full, couldn't get a ticket. And I was like, oh, I really wanted to hear him talk about the eyeball killer. And I saw another one and I was like, yes. Yeah, so I will be able to give you all reviews about it. Yes. Come out and join us. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. Yeah, you can, we do publish it on Eventbrite. So if you go to Eventbrite, the ticketing website, and search for Casaro Winery um, when I post new episodes. And we're up to seven episodes now. So it's not just the eyeball killer. I try to pick serial killers from around the world that interest me. So there's oh. got to be a twist to the case. There's got to be something that really makes me say, wow, this is cool. We do one called A Cup of Murder about a serial killer who used what else? wine to murder her victims Um, (laughs) there you go it all ties in (laughs) there you go great story we do a married murderers about a couple a married couple who went on a two and a half year killing spree and the weird thing was there wasn't a dominant and a submissive they were both dominant killers so i try to pick interesting cases and uh, like i said Folks come from all over. Everyone sells out. I think we're up to number 78 is the next session that we're doing. That's fine. uh, We always sell out. Uh, So if you happen to see it on Eventbrite, click and get the ticket right then. Uh, If you're going with a bunch of girls, get tickets for everybody because I get calls every single week saying, well, three of my girlfriends made it and three more didn't. And (laughs) like, like, like you said, they all sell out quickly. Yeah. And for our listeners, Casaro is spelled C-A-S-S-A-R-O. And actually, it looks like your website is casarowines.com. Yes, it is. Awesome. Yes, it is. Well, we can't wait to meet you in person, John. Thank you so much for being on True Crime Broads. The true, the eyeball killer story is fascinating. And it we, is. we couldn't have had anyone better tell it. So thank you so much for being on True Crime Broads. And we'll look forward to seeing you at the winery. All right. We'll see okay, you down Have a great day. Take care. Thank Thanks, you all very much. Take care. Bye-bye.